People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Well, hello, hello, hello. Women in jazz, the horrors of racial violence, the problem of domestic terrorism or domestic violence, social change, activism. Women in jazz had a role in all of this. I'm very happy today to talk with you because we have a very special guest. Her name is Sweet Baby J. She is a multi-award winning, internationally acclaimed jazz singer, songwriter, producer, actress, and educator. She's toured the world with her genre-defying work, embracing and expanding jazz tradition. She's also the co-founder and artistic director for the Palm Springs Women's Jazz Festival. She's honored as a living jazz legend, inducted into California Jazz and Blues Museum Hall of Fame, and was recently awarded the HRC Advocate for Equality Award. Welcome, sweet baby Jay. Hello, Joy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. This sounds like it's going to be interesting. I think it will. Uh, I think we really want to hear about some monumental uh, things that have happened for, well, particularly focusing on Billie Holiday and Nina Simone and how they brought about awareness, activism, social change through their music their and their courage and also what women in jazz are doing today along those same lines now before we get started uh maybe you can talk a little bit and tell our listeners about well here in the u.s jazz well this was the birth of jazz right here in the united states so maybe you can talk a little bit about that history for us Absolutely. And, you know, I love talking about uh, jazz because it really is our American. um, This is what we sort of import to the world. Right. Because it was born in America. That's right. uh, And uh, absolutely. And America is unique in itself because people came here. Right. And so we had Native Americans here and their influence on jazz. You brought Europeans in, the Africans in, and the Islanders in. And so people were coming from all over the world to America. And so jazz, because jazz is improv music. It's different from European music, whereas European music is laid in the shade. It is uh, written out it traditionally. And so what you saw on the page is what you played. Jazz is a culmination, which still today, in the beginning of jazz, was a culmination of so many uh, different sort of uh, flavors and rhythms. And so it became this improv music where everyone had a taste. And that's the wonderful thing about jazz. You can hear when they have a jazz classic, that's a song that you've heard a hundred times. That's why they call them standards and classics. They're played so differently each time. You don't get tired of it because it's always played a different way because the wonderful thing about jazz is that each person brings their interpretation of that because there's so many different chord voicings and uh, again that word improv 
that improvisation that you can bring into jazz. So jazz started back, um, well, you know, it just, it, it, it was a combination of when the slaves came in, uh, people who were enslaved and brought in those rhythms and those songs of, of those moans and and uh that those drums and then picking up on uh the flavors out of new orleans and jazz so jazz was sort of born the birthplace of jazz officially the birthplace of jazz was in new orleans right that, and so you 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 got all of that together that that's a really that's a really uh important thing because already we're expressing um, change and uh, and the identification of the horrors of uh, and the terrorist terrorism of racism and and also sexism. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that the jazz age in the twenties is also at the moment in time when women were ratifying the Nineteenth Amendment. I mean, so here you have the jazz age where jazz has become uh, has been formed earlier and in the in the Louisiana and in New Orleans and now it's becoming this national uh, art form that is used to talk about modernism. I mean jazz is talking about how to create a modern society. So I think that's Absolutely. really important. Absolutely. And and given the fact that it it sort of coincided with the roaring twenties and the age of women. And they named a whole era the jazz age because jazz represented this rebellious music, you see, Mm -hmm. this change, this change that had to happen. And women in the 20s uh, in particular, it was a time of vast change. The, the, The change for women in the 20s were remarkable because Western women were cutting off their skirts, those long dresses. They were cutting them off at the knee. They freedom, were freedom. And had freedom. <laughs> yeah. Freedom to go out, freedom to go listen to jazz, freedom to go here. And black singers in particular, Joy, because this was a time where they were just steps away from slavery mm-hmm. and in the 20s. And because the album, the phonograph had come into play and that and it was just a new medium, it was too a white woman's voice, even a white male's voice was too tinny. So what they had to do in the beginning is to go get those big bottom singers from the revival tent shows. Oh, wow. So that they can sound palatable on that medium, on that phonograph. So it became, so all of these blues singers that were out working these tent shows in the South that had no microphones, their voices were so big, they would carry the whole tent, right? Mm -hmm. So now they're on this microphone now, this megaphone that's going into this phonograph and made palatable. So if you heard any of those um, early recordings, records, early recordings from like Bessie and Mamie Smith, and any of those uh, earlier recordings. Those voices are are light and airy. They're you know that uh, just can't do it. And I know you can do it. You can do it my way. <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in reality, 
those were big bottom singers, baby, from the tent. Mm -hmm. And so those singers were saying, I can tell you that you can't do it. You know, but it didn't record. In the, so, wow. Right. That's, that's, and so it gave them that kind of power to imagine they were making $20 a week. Now they are being heard on every Victrola in the country. Mm. Bessie Smith went from making $20 a week to $2,000 a week. Wow. And couldn't have at Carnegie Hall. Couldn't have a better figure for social change than Bessie Smith. I think she than just, Bessie right? Smith. I mean, she, and, she, and listen, she pushed all the boundaries. I mean, she pushed every boundary. Ma Rainey was singing a song about going and getting a woman, honey. I might go out <laughs> to the club. You got to prove it on me. I might go out to the club and I come back with your woman. Oh. This is what was going on. This is what was coming on Victrola's because they said to themselves, I'm going to sing about what I I want to sing about because mm -hmm. they had that power. Yes. They had that power. They and it was the power. power of the dollar, obviously. Mm -hmm. well, right. They understood capitalism pretty well because uh, <laughs> yes. you know, if that's for sure. And wielded it, you know, and used it and, and kind of played the those who wanted to make money from them and on them were able to use themselves as their own asset. I mean, I think that's very, uh, you got to be really smart to outsmart that system. You, you absolutely do. I mean, and, and that's what those women were doing. It's just really was a wonderful time for women. It was just an explosion of, of independence, an explosion. Oh, well, it was the Renaissance, right? Mm -hmm. It was an explosion of art, an explosion of, of black uh, culture and Renaissance. But it was just, it was contagious. It, and so much so, they named an heir after it, the jazz age. Well, I, you know, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think that really proves that um, um, women in jazz, and particularly black women in jazz, were especially strong um, and used that moment in time to really change much of what we call our culture today, and really don't get that credit for doing that. I think that's a right. that's an important thing, and I think we can both agree. And I do want to get to that song, Strange Fruit, because that, I think we can agree, continues, continues to serve as a call to arms for those fighting racial inequality in the United States. It's very true. And when people think of civil rights, iconic singers, um, you know, and activism, they don't naturally think of Billie Holiday. No, they don't. But Billie Holiday, no, they don't. They think that Billie Holiday... They have all sorts of imaginations about Billie Holiday. And, um, you know, because the books and movies have talked about uh, her dependence on drugs and, and um, they go into that. But the reality is that Billie Holiday was one of the most iconic activists of her time. Her song changed the course of this nation. Strange Fruit, and Strange Fruit was such a, I mean, it was such a phenomenon. Here she is singing, and she's doing her jazz songs, and she was a big fan of Bessie Smith. Mm -hmm. And Billie Holiday came from meager beginnings, and she's coming up, and she's singing in Harlem and singing all over, and she's doing her thing, and people love her because she had her style. But it was this cat that came in. She was at a little club 
and Cafe Society, mm-hmm. a little club in Harlem called Cafe Society. And she was singing, and this guy comes in, and he has this poem, and he says, let's do this song. It's about lynchings that were going on down south. Now, now I just, Nobody talked about it. I want to I just, I, I, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but I do want to yes. focus on this, this guy, because this guy, he was Abel Mirapol. And the, Abel Mirapol. Yeah, and the thing about Abel Mirapol, and it, it, it originally when he wrote this poem, it was called Bitter Fruit, okay, but I bring mm-hmm. him to attention because... He was Jewish, and he was an immigrant, and he had suffered anti-Semitism. And when he saw uh, the photographs and pictures of lynchings, this pro- this propelled him into writing this poem. And he, you know, he tried to get everybody to write music to it, and they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to take it on. But I, I, they didn't want to take it. They on. didn't want to take it on. But I zero, I zero back on him because the interesting thing about this guy is that he goes to a Christmas party with W. E. B. Du Bois. That he goes to his Christmas party. Now it's a Jewish guy going to W. E. B. Du Bois's Christmas party, and right. there at this Christmas party, he meets these two kids. Okay, now he called himself Lewis Allen. He didn't call himself Abel Mirapol. But he meets these right. two kids who were the children of the dead Ethel and Julius Rosenberg who had been executed as traitors. And he, right. he adopts them. So, I mean, this whole thing about how, uh, you know, all of these the, the, this oppression and this, this terrorism all comes out to create this fine, fine art that continues to be almost the, the banner tunes, you know, the theme songs for even what's going on today. So, so we're, even what's going on today. So we're back in that cafe society. He walks in there. He sees Billie Holiday singing, and that's where, you, that's where I interrupted you. So please take it on. Right. He sees her singing. He brings her this poem, this song, and Billie Holiday knew the power of what because she's seen it right she's lifted she knew the power of that song so they take it to her record company and the record company did not want to release it because they knew that her southern listeners would have a problem with that mm-hmm. if you can just imagine <laughs> and so they said no 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 we are not going to do this so they found a smaller label but now, at the same time here, Billie Holiday, let's, let's put ourselves right back in that era and see what's going on. Billie Holiday was one of the first. She played with the Artie Shaw Band. She was one of the first black uh, singers to travel with an all-white band. Because mm-hmm. Artie Shaw saw Billie Holiday and said, I have to have you in my band. And that's beautiful up north. But when they got down south, it was a very very different story. So Billie Holiday had become this, you know, I mean, she was Billie Holiday with the Artie Shaw band, but she couldn't stay in the same hotel. She couldn't stay in, uh, so let's just set this picture, right? So she she had to, uh, she couldn't use the facilities, had to go out behind the bus. I mean, this is in her gown. So let's set the, let's set. So she knew when she got this song and she had traveled down south. She knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so they find a smaller record label that said, okay, 
I'll release it. Mm. Now what happened, this song, The Power of the Word, it had gotten out in this very small club in New York, in Harlem, called Cafe Society. People were coming from all over the country to hear this song that had been banned on the radio. And so they said, so what happened, it became this groundswell Mm -hmm. to talk about the lynchings that were going on down south because people didn't know if you weren't down south, they weren't getting that out. So for some people, this was the first time through this music that they were able, and it's a very visual song, Yes, that they were able to imagine this strange fruit hanging from a popular tree. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and this is why Billie Holiday, that's why she is an iconic singer. That song is an iconic song. Today, it makes that statement. Today, it is relevant. I'd like to pause our conversation with Sweet Baby Jay for a moment and tell you about something very special. Our podcast today is made possible by the generous support of My Little Flower Shop in Palm Springs. They are the premier full-service floral and event design studio in our beautiful desert cities. The staff has more than 50 years of experience designing, planning, and executing one-of-a-kind, high-profile social, corporate, and charity benefit special events. That experience includes the Academy Awards and presidential inaugurations. So whether you are planning a wedding, a birthday, showers, or anniversary parties, or you're organizing a big banquet, My Little Flower Shop uses only the finest flowers and will help you celebrate in style. Everyday arrangements, wedding bouquets, centerpieces, and amazing unique designs. Call My Little Flower Shop, open daily, 9 to 5. The phone number is 760-778-7111. That's 760-778-7111. And visit them online for visual inspiration, mylittleflowershop.com at 861 North Palm Canyon in Palm Springs. They're open for delivery and an official sponsor of Outspoken. Let's continue our conversation with Sweet Baby Jay. I want to go back uh, to one thing that you were talking about earlier, and it's true that when people talk about Billie Holiday, they zero in on her addiction, but they never really talk about why she was an addict. What pain was she alleviating? I mean, to zero in on that and not to realize that out of that pain, she was still able and had the courage and sang that song in clubs where they told her not to sing it had the courage to do that. I mean, this is an incredible moment. She knows what this song is going to do to her career. She sings it anyway. Anyway. And that, that's a Shiro. That is absolutely a Shiro. Yeah. I mean, it is just amazing. Because I have to tell people, I do this play that involves Billie Holiday, and it's, it, it talks about her addiction, and it talks about why. Right. And it talks about the things that you see and, and just imagine. And me as a, you know, I travel all over the world singing and I've seen things and, uh, you know, poverty. It's just, it just wrenches you. But imagine I have never seen a lynching. Right. Had I 
seen one, I may have turned to something that would alleviate that pain. Right. But this is what I'm saying. This is it's it's just a matter that she rolls through all of that and was able to say, this is what I'm going to do. And she did because it. This is what needs to be done. She did it anyway, and and I. She did it anyway. Yeah, and I think right there, and I think we can run sort of a parallel moment in time. Again, we're talking the fifties, and then in the sixties, um, let's talk a little bit about Nina Simone and Mississippi Goddamn. Mm-hmm. So Nina Simone and Mississippi Goddamn. Now Nina Simone is someone that you can draw that line to civil rights very easily Mm -hmm. because her career was based in civil rights. Her songs are just anthems Mm -hmm. (laughs) for civil rights. It's the intersection of jazz and protest, right? Yes, Mm yes. And so, I mean, it's pretty remarkable because she came up with songs like Mississippi God Damn, where, where you, she, first of all, she was raised in church. She learned to play in the church. And she, here is a woman who, and particularly in the 60s when they, it was just, I mean, if you look back, when we look back at those films and we see George Wallace and people and, and them uh, uh, Ooh, the turning KKK. dogs. Yeah. And the KKK. That's right. And they were so bold and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, it, I mean, it's sort of circling back. It sort of rose up again uh, now. But back then when it was just so in your face, mm-hmm. it was just let's turn the dogs on them and put the water on them. And KKK come out marching for them. And George Wallace says, over my dead body will a little black girl go to school with my. I mean, it was just so in your face that um, Nina Simone said, this is, this is just too damn much. And Mississippi God Damn was based on a song, uh, an event that happened in Alabama where four little black girls mm-hmm. were at church, at church, and the KKK, these terrorists, came in, white supremacists, and bombed the church, mm. killing these four little black girls. And of the attacks on Megger Evers, she had just had enough. Emmett Till, Emmett Till case was there. Emmett Till mm-hmm. burned up, and mm-hmm. when his mother said, "Do not close the gap," that's right. I want the world to see what these people did to my fourteen-year-old child. Right. And she had just had enough. She said, girl, the title, Mississippi, God damn. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, that just says it all. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Well, you know, Mississippi, God damn. It, you know, I, I, in, in my mind, and I know that she wrote this really fast. I, I understand she wrote it within an hour. And it took her, I mean, I think she wrote this song instead of grabbing a gun. Okay. <laughs> Because yes. it had a, certainly has had a longer effect on us um, as to uh, what's considered uh, continuing um, working against the horrors of racial violence. And, and I think she, we can also point to um, a parallel in that it wasn't, I mean, it helped her career, but it also was the obstacle of her career. Yes, absolutely. Because um, she had... It limited her career. Yes, yes. Right? I yeah. mean, as, as in most things, 2020 vision is lovely. 
And what happens is we see that once we're gone, our music may have had a greater impact than we yeah than we than we than it did in the time period. I mean, but she did in the time period. Yeah, she definitely wasn't going to be a crossover pop R and B singer. That's for sure. (laughs) Where where the money was that that we know. Well, let me ask you a little bit. Let me bring it up to date now because I think women in jazz today are continuing this tradition of uh, activism and social change and, and um, you know, jazz is political. I mean, even when the jazz music... Has always been yeah, political. Even when the it messages aren't obvious, it, uh, it's arguing for positive change. So I think we're That's seeing exactly that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, I know um, uh, Roxy Koss uh, founded and, and is the director of Women in Jazz, and she's done a few things like Nevertheless, She Persisted, which is a hard hard bop work. Um, right. little, little Did She Know, Females Are As Strong As Hell, does the Me Too thing and, and kind of creates music to to kind of move that message forward. Are, are you seeing that same thing with uh, today's women musicians, jazz musicians? I am. I mean, you know, music has always sort of led the way with that. Music has been our salvation, our soul soothers. I mean, music has done that for us, and it's, it's certainly provided that uh, road to recovery for a lot of people. And I see there's this one group out of Canada. What is her name? Monica Hadar, I think. Mona Hadar. And um, Wrap My Hijab. Or Wrap My Hijab. And it's a rap group of Muslim singers. And they're talking about um, our less racist neighbor in Canada, but there are issues of racism in Canada. And so these divas, honey, in their hijabs, and they're they're just going on with their rapping and, you know, sort of mixing jazz in there with it and talking about that. And there's another one, Lula Wireless, she does shame and sedition. I mean, there's a lot of young women that are uh, holding up that fort and bringing in through music, protest through they, music. Yeah, they're making uh, it their you know, own. They're making it their own. And you sort of have to because uh, music has always been, I, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I just saw Dolly Parton mm-hmm. on something uh, last night. I think they were, they, maybe it was an old interview, but I just love Dolly Parton. I think she is so genuine and just such a wonderful human being. But she talked about uh, out of everything she does, she hopes that she would be remembered most for her songwriter because her songwriting, Mm -hmm. because that's what she considers herself first and foremost, a songwriter, because it is through her songs that she is able to then communicate and protest and um, you know, be able to let out all that she has in. And and I think that is so apropos to what's going on, and this is what happens with music. You have to be able to say it. You have to be able to um, and, and sort of give everyone else this something to hold on to. That's something right. to see after George Floyd, all of the protest songs right. that came out, or a lot of young singers coming out with protest songs. Uh, uh, you know, it's everything that happens in our lives 
we put it to music. Well, that's right. Well, I want to remind our listeners that we are talking today to Sweet Baby Jay. She is the co-founder and artistic director for Palm Springs Women's Jazz Festival. She's here on Outspoken. And I know that you are continuing to make that platform available for both those women jazz uh, musicians from the newest to the current to the future. I know you're doing that right here in Coachella Valley. And I know there's a Palm Springs Women's Jazz Festival coming up soon in 2022. So tell us a little Absolutely. bit about what happens with the Palm Springs Women's Jazz Festival. Well, I'm very excited about it. Uh, we've uh, been going now. This is our 10th anniversary and that's really exciting. Uh, we were a small festival and we're growing and growing with the valley, growing with Coachella Valley. So we get um, jazz singers to come in, musicians. The whole, our whole mission is to feature female jazz musicians. And that right. jazz festival is going to take place when? November the 11th through the 13th of 2022. Our 10th anniversary, we're coming back with a bang. And let me tell you, we will knock it out of the park. So I want you to tell everyone. Tell everybody. Out there, tell everybody to come on down because we're going to load it up with nothing but beautiful talent, baby. And we're talking about those songs. That's, That's right. what we're talking about. This has been Joy Silver with Outspoken. Thank you so much, sweet baby Jay. Hey.